Morning, Church. It's always a privilege to be standing up front here, but there is so many butterflies floating around here this morning. But I know that God's going to bless us as we look at His Word this morning. I've titled my little talk with you here this morning, God's Redeeming Love. Throughout the pages of God's Word, God has always had His people being wooed by His love. And even wherever they find themselves, God's enveloping love just seemed to cover them. And you know, that is the same God that you and I serve today that does exactly the same today for us. So my thoughts are going to emanate from the book of Jeremiah 29, and I know that you're already racing to verse 11. That's going to be part of it. That's going to be part of it. But I want us to focus from verse 4. Now this is a letter that God instructs Jeremiah to write to the children of Israel who are in exile in Babylon. So you can imagine the moaning and the groaning and the unhappiness of these children of God in, in Babylon. And God now, just, just look at God's response to his children. Now, remember that Jeremiah, just a bit of context, Jeremiah had been preaching to the children of Israel for 40 years. God warned them, hey. If you are going to continue in your disobedience, I am going to allow the enemy to capture you. You are going into captivity. And that did not sit well with the children of Israel. And to make it worse, God gets the superpower of the day to come and to capture them. And that was a no-no for them. Children of Israel said to God, are you going to allow that heathen nation to over?" To overtake us and to take us into captivity. And God said, you know what? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Because you know what? King Nebuchadnezzar is my friend. Wow. There again we see that God is not a respecter of person. Irrespective of who you are, God can use you. God can use you. So this is where now God comes and he says to Jeremiah, I need you to pen a letter to those children of mine in, in, in exile. And look at God's love. Look at God's love. Let's read from verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. You, you notice something there? God says, I did that. I did that. Verse 5. Now this is what God is saying to them. He says, build houses. Settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Verse 6, he says, marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters into marriage so that they too can have sons and daughters increase in number there do not decrease verse 7 also seek 
the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. For if it prospers, you too will prosper. What God is saying to them, he says, man, build houses, settle down. Carry on with your lives as if it's normal. Forget about where you came from. I need you to settle down in this country where you find yourself. He said, I say to you, take note of their prosperity. I want you to invest in their stock exchange. Get the best economic advisors. Get them. Because you see, if they prosper, you will always, you will also will prosper. Then I came across something very interesting. Christ Object Lessons. Page 353. This is what Ellen White writes to us. Under that famous <clears throat> subject of talents. This shook me. She, she says, social, social advantages are talents. You surprised at that? Social advantages are talents. And they are to be used for the benefit of all within reach of your influence. The love that gives kindness to only a few is not love, but selfishness. You see a correlation between God's word and the pen of his handmaiden, Ellen White? Social advantages are talents. You see, if those Babylonians prosper and you invest in their stock exchange, you too will prosper. And that is exactly the same that God is saying to us here today. That we need to be wise. We need to be keen in our thinking. Look for the opportunities. And when the opportunities present themselves, be there. Be there to grasp it and to take hold of it. Let's go to verse 8, I think. Verse 8 says, Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Now, you see, in that grouping there were... There were some agents of, of the enemy there as well, promoting their own agenda and program. And they, they preached what the children of Israel wanted them to preach. To say that soon we will be out of our captivity. This is God's answer, verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promises to you back to this place. So you see, the 70 years of captivity wasn't sitting well with the children of Israel. 70 years in this place 
Imagine some of them must have been old already in age. Young people, think of Daniel and them. They were in their teens. Daniel would have been probably over 80, 90 when he had completed the 70 years in captivity. So that was not a pleasant thought to have in your mind as a child of God living in a foreign heathen land. And then all these prophets of doom and gloom were preaching a different gospel to what God was saying was going to happen to you. Now isn't that exactly the same with us today? God is saying to us, my coming is imminent. My coming is imminent. How prepared are you and I for Jesus' second coming? I don't have to tell you what is happening in our world today, in our own country. Israel, Russia and Ukraine, those are the wars that we know of. What about all the other wars that are taking place here and there that are not being advertised and brought to our attention in the news? There are many out there today. How many people do they say get raped women in our country? How many people are abused? Women and children are abused in our country. These are all the telltales that the Bible is warning us about, isn't that so? And yet the Bible says these are only the birth pains. These are just the birth pains. Worst things are ahead of us. Worst things. You see, in all of what God had allowed in the, in, in, in the captivity of the children of Israel, is that you didn't appreciate your, your position of privilege in Israel. You wanted more than what I gave you. And you disobeyed me. And to correct your disobedience, I need you to go into exile. So that your thinking can become better. You see, your thinking now is clouded. It's deluded because of your position of privilege that you're enjoying. And sometimes, you know, God allows these things in our lives to come and, and smack us in a way that destabilizes our lives to such an extent that we don't know our left hand from our right hand. And then we ask, God, why is this happening to me? And yeah, we must, I must admit as well, you know, we, we, we don't spend that much time in God's word either today. What is occupying our time? What is our thoughts on? You see, this is exactly what God had to do with the children of Israel. He had to physically shake them out of their comfort zone, put them in a position of discomfort, and make them realize, oh, what we had. 
How can we sing the praises of God in a foreign land? How can we do that? Isn't that so common with us as well? It's only when we have lost something that we treasured that we yearn for that something. Typical human, isn't that so? That's how we are. But you know, this God is a God that is so full of love for us that even when he disciplines us, he disciplines us in love. And I think that is probably the most difficult thing for us as practicing Christians to accept from God is the discipline. Some of us would say that, you know, I can do without the discipline, God. Deal with me in some other way. Find some other way to deal with me. But I don't want to come under your discipline. But that's necessary. That's necessary. What did Solomon say? He says, discipline a child in the way that he should go also. Discipline. It's important. This is God's answer to his children of Israel. You see, the children of Israel were crying out to God and they were, they were not happy. Verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. We have a future in God as we are seated here this morning. God's plan of redemption, God's plan of his redeeming love is the fact that this is not our final destination. We are just mere pilgrims journeying through this land. final destination is going to be or oh, when we see that hand appearing in the eastern sky the size of a man's hand when the world will stand still and we will hear the trump of God sounding oh and the angels singing in perfect harmony heralding the, the arrival of the king of kings and lord of lords Oh, and we the redeemed here standing and looking up and we will shout, our Redeemer has come. Our Redeemer has come. You see, verse 13 caps it for us. Look at verse 13. He says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. With all your heart. You see, there's no half measures with God. I've come to realize that. God does not deal with half measures. It's all or nothing with God. It's all or nothing with him. And how sad sometimes when I find myself not dealing and giving God all. Because, you see, I've come to realize that 
even in captivity, where the children of Israel found themselves, God was raising up a people there that would represent him the way that he would be represented in Babylon. Remember Daniel and the three young friends in the palace representing God the way that God wanted them to represent him. What about the others in the community, the other children of Israel? Well, I'd like to think there were a lot of them as well that were following also the commands of God and being obedient to God. In fact, we see that after a period of time when King Xerxes came into power that when the call was made that they go back to Israel and go build the walls of Israel and the city of Israel, very few went back. They had become so comfortable in Babylon, enjoying the prosperity and the good life of Babylon, that they said, no, we're not going back there. We're back to ruins. Went back to ruins. We don't go back there. It's recorded for us that in Babylon, and I think it's still a fact today, it's recorded that the seven wonders of the earth, that the hanging gardens of Babylon is still there. Recorded as, as that. A marvel. You see, Babylon was the most beautiful city that you could lay your eyes upon. They tell me just your approach to Babylon, the wall that they had around Babylon, that gate, the gate that led into the city was of such magnificence that as you looked at that gate, never mind who you are, you marveled at the beauty and the handcraftness that went into that gate, the making of that gate. It's like standing, I would say, looking at a picture of, as a comparison, Da Vinci, Picasso. I'm always amazed uh, at the architecture, genius, and beauty when, I, you know, when you watch a picture on Europe and they take you around the cities of Europe and they take you into these, especially with the, with the funeral of the queen. I was more captivated by the, the artwork of that edifice where they were worshipping me. The magnificence of what was taking place there is, is beyond understanding. It's beyond my mind's grasp. To know that God had endowed these men and women, I would think, that worked on those beautiful buildings. If you think that's beauty, you have you've seen nothing yet. Nothing yet. Paul says to us, no eye has seen Neither has it come up in the mind of men what God has gone to prepare for us. 
Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. For you. In the book of Revelation, we, we read that this, the city of God is, is such a magnificent city. The dimensions is given. But the beauty of the, of, of the city is, is, is what intrigues me. It says that the city streets are made of gold. And not just gold, pure gold. Because I, I come to realize that this God that I, that, that I worship is a God of purity. And that all that he does is better than our very best. The walls, the walls are made of jasper. The gates pillars, solid pearls. Today we have an inkling of pearls. I think the biggest pearl that you get is probably the, that size. Now imagine a whole gate, palace, pure. They tell me out of a grain of, of sand found in a seashell, once it is clamped in, and this is where it gives birth to this pearl. We're astounded by that, isn't it, sir? But to think that God is going to just speak that into existence. He's busy with that city. Busy with that city. And the beauty part of it all, the beauty part of it, in that mansion that God, that Jesus is going to prepare for us, In its cupboard, in its cupboard, he has loomed a garment of pure white, your size, my size, his garment of righteousness. Have you ever thought about that? That when we enter into heaven, we will be wearing pure white garments which will signify the righteousness of Christ. We live in a real world. We are faced with many challenges in this world. Just like the children of Israel had faced challenges in Babylon. But you know, God, in his redeeming love, he says to us, Jesus says, take heart. I've overcome the world. But you need to be obedient to my teachings and to my laws. To be able to have access to heaven one day, 
we will need to start our journey here in obedience to God's laws and to his teachings. You see, this is where our journey to heaven starts. Ellen White, I just missed that statement here where she, she, she mentions the fact that heaven is a journey that begins here with us. Our character building starts here. It will be perfected in heaven. That's when it's going to be perfected. To an estate where, remember, the, the, during the period of millennium, it's going to be a process of us growing as well. But our growing here as well will be further perfected up in heaven. May God bless us as we continue to, to worship and serve God. He says, for I know the plans I have for you. Plans to, to prosper you, not to harm you. Never been God's intention to harm us. But he allows these things to happen in our lives to discipline us and to make us realize that who God is. We need to trust God. We need to pray for that trust. We need to pray that the Holy Spirit will come and increase our faith in God as well. Pray that the Holy Spirit will come and have the character of Jesus manifested within our lives. Pray that the Holy Spirit will come and have the fruits of the spirits manifested in our lives as well. Amen.